Get fast access to breaking news by signing up now to Black Press Media's free newsletters and stay informed with all the latest news delivered directly to your inbox. You'll have access on any device so you never have to miss out again on the information you need to know. Hi, Mike. We're back at Rami Film Studio to record another episode of Haven's Measure Twice, Cut Once. How are you? I'm fantastic, Jennifer Lee. It's great to be back here for season six, and we've had such an exciting season. And I absolutely love these conversations because most of the people we're talking to have won awards, or in this case, multiple awards. And it's a really great conversation because not only do we learn about what goes into bringing these types of projects to life, but also, you know, there's two worlds we live in. There's the Instagram world and then there's the real world. And this is going to show us the real world and what it's like to actually create one of these projects from when we think about it to when we go through and we can actually see the awards at the end of it and the people actually get to enjoy their space. So I'm really excited to be back. And this is going to be an amazing conversation because we have an old friend returning and we have a new friend joining us as well. Yeah, and I really love this woman that's with us right now. Uh, we've been on uh, one of the committees for Haven for a long time together. I've got to see her career unfold. And, of course, she won Interior Designer of the Year Award at the Haven Awards this year, as well as some other ones that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. We have Katarina from Designs by Chaos. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here today. Yeah, Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. And we have a new gentleman that I have never met and Mike hasn't met either. And we got Paul from Geography Contracting. How are you? I'm very good. Yeah, happy to be here. Hey, welcome. Uh, we were chatting a little bit before. You have a very interesting background. And, and we're, it's okay if we start with you just because you're, sure. you're the yeah. newest one here. Yeah. Yeah. Guest of see. honor. Let's jump right in. Let's so you, like, I love talking to people because we see where we're at right now, but there's always a story of how we got here and you didn't start out as a builder per se. Can you talk a little about your background and your journey to where you are right now? Because this really adds a lot of value to the conversation we're going to have in a couple minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, I've been a builder for, I mean, our company is quite young. We're only about three years old, um, but I've been in the industry for about 15 years. Um, I started as a carpenter, uh, worked up to, to a project manager um, and did that for a while. Um, and then started uh, geography contracting about three years ago. Um, my background though, uh, I started, or I did a, uh, an environmental science, um, degree at the university of Waterloo. Um, so I've always been, you know, science minded, um, and, uh, environmentally minded. So our company really, um, focuses on sustainability. Um, so we are, uh, you know, into the high performance aspect of home building, um, with a focus on passive house. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, yeah. And you touched upon something that I really want to talk about because it's come up in past episodes, especially with Brian Baumler and Graham Hugay in the episode is the fact that, a lot of people just start their company right out of school. They don't take the time to learn and and do a further apprenticeship and, and learn about contracting and all that. Like mm -hmm. you, I think it's so refreshing that you've had those many years and now you're at a point where you can start your company. How important do you think that is to the young generation of building to actually take their time and learn their craft before starting their own company? Yeah, I think it's really important. I think, um, you know, in this industry, and for me anyways, quality has always been uh, an important aspect to deliver to clients and to homeowners. Um, so I think just taking that time uh, to feel very comfortable 
in stepping into that role where you're the direct contact for uh, homeowners, for your clients, dealing with trades. I just think it's a, it's a role where you're that central person for a lot of people. Um, so I think it, uh, it takes a good amount of time to be comfortable in that role. Um, so I think it's smart for me anyways, it was a good way to go to take the time, um, work my way up, get that experience before I, I jumped in and, and it sounds like with your background, it was very natural evolution, not just to go into construction, but into this type of responsible construction. Can you yeah. talk a little about what was your motivating factor for, I mean, we'll lay it out on the line. There are people out there who don't really understand the value of passive and they just see it as a little bit more expensive than a conventional build, yep. but there are so many benefits. What made you want to get into this type of construction and what, what excites you doing it on a daily basis? Yeah. So, I mean, I think whatever industry we work in, um, there is a responsibility, I think, uh, you know, in, in today's era to do what we can to make it as sustainable as possible, um, to be, uh, you know, agents of change. I think, I think we're at a point, um, where that's, you know, a necessary, uh, way forward. Um, is to start thinking about sustainability and within the, the, the home building sector, um, you know, we know the stats, uh, housing and buildings, uh, you know, makes up about 30 to 40% of our carbon emissions globally. Um, so we do have a big problem there. Um, and I think there's a, a lot of change that can happen and is happening. Um, so we you know, we feel very aligned with that sort of change. Um, passive house is a great example, um, of a, a framework that sets the stage to create houses that uh, are about 90% more efficient, um, to heat and cool than a traditionally built house. Um, so it's, it's something that, you know, going back to my university, university days and, um, you know, having sustainability in mind, it's been something that's guided my way through, um, to becoming a builder. Oh, bravo. You've come a long way from K-Dub. Here you are on the West Coast building, yeah, right. uh, building yeah. homes that are uh, showing a lot of other people what's possible. Yeah. And, and and Katarina, welcome back. Um, ab absolutely love the last time you were on here and just always have such great conversations with you. Uh, what's new and exciting in your world? Like you've got all these awards, you're still doing your thing. Like what's what's happening? Yeah, there's lots of good uh, momentum. I mean, the awards uh, bring great exposure to our little business. And along with that, uh, we have some pretty unique and interesting projects. I do a lot of renovations, um, so that's mostly what's happening right now. And um, yeah, it's just fun clients, great projects, uh, getting a lot more creative control. The clients are trusting that, you know, they're not just in good hands, but good creative hands, essentially. Um, so some things are becoming like uh, more more exciting in on that level. And uh, as of just about a week and a half ago, I um, got our first, maybe second technically, but anyways, international job. So we're doing um, a new construction. So I guess I do have a new construction project in um, in Greece, at like a duplex in Greece is what I'm trying to say, new construction, and it's in a resort town. So the project itself is pretty unique, what I'm going to get to design this time around, yeah. I think Mike and I need to come with you as consultants on that job. Yep. You're not the first one to say that. <laughs> Our services are available. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. can do a podcast in Greece right? about your uh, the, Absolutely. The I've become well-versed in, in working with Greek people, too. Over there the you go. Years, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're all vying for 
for that job. And how important for you, Katerina, because you've been around for a long time, is it to work with people like Paul that have a passion about sustainability building? Uh, very important. It's pretty much what, what our future is. And it's quite interesting because I work with clients quite often and you hear them address this issue time and time again. It's not necessarily like talking about just passive housing, but it's how our like cars are not made the way that they used to be made. It's about how the fridges are no longer lasting as long as they used to and so on. So they have these complaints that a house or a product that we have and that we live in especially should give more or sustain itself more so in the long run, right? So you're you're hearing it on many different levels. Um, so if the client knows it or not, they're very well aware of what's happening in this world. And that's why it's important for me to have people like Paul around that are passionate about this. And I go along for the ride. How'd you guys get connected, right? Because you both have your own independent companies and you're both at different phases in your business. Yeah. How'd you guys decide to start working together? So we met through a project, uh, our award-winning project, actually, that, um, yeah, we met on, on this project that was an Enerfit. So it's a, a renovation passive house project. Um, and it was through another Greek family. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, the house was actually gifted from the grandmother of the family uh, down to the granddaughter and the grandson, um, siblings. Um, so obviously one house didn't work for, for two people. So they decided to make it into a duplex, um, and also had the interest to, to, uh, take on that next step and, uh, you know, turn it into a passive house an enter fit. Um, so Katarina was, was hired by, um, our client Pamela and, and we met through that. Yeah. And of course, we're going to dive further into that project in just a little bit. But because you mentioned it's award winner, what does winning the awards, especially the Haven Awards, mean to both of you? I'll go first. Yeah. Uh, well, I I mean, I'm I'm thrilled. I've been participating actively with Haven. I want to say like, I don't know, over 15 plus time. years. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, and I don't want to age myself. But it's been so long. So then to start getting recognized from the community of people that you work with, colleagues, competitors, and so on, like just peers, and to get this kind of recognition is just amazing. And I have an interesting story to say about this. these awards. The day, the, the awards were on a Saturday. On a Monday, uh, I go back to the office lugging my awards around. <laughs> I'm just kidding because I didn't have them yet. Anyways, but uh, the point in my story is that, yeah, that Monday I got a call from a builder that from like 15 years ago plus I've been wanting to work with. And I used to rep a product before becoming like my own business. So I, I used to be a designer for somebody else. Anyways, um, I used to solicit that company back in the day, never really got to work with them. And that phone rang the Monday after the awards and they were present at the awards and so on. So it's it's amazing on the customer front that our customers get to see that the work that we do is recognizable, award-winning, you know, we have passion uh, on what we do, but also within the peers as well. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I want to say something for people watching this, listening to this, those of us who are part of the Home Builders Association Haven, there's a lot of events and when you talk about the recognition of your peers, 
when I first joined the events, you were at every one of them. You were sponsoring them, you were volunteering your time, and you were working very hard to support the rest of the community. So this isn't just something that happened. There was years and years of hard work and, and, and investment in this community, back into this community as well. So that's something I want to point out because this isn't a minor thing. This is a major thing, and it took a lot of years of hard work to get here. So very, very heartfelt congratulations Yeah, thank to you. you so much. Honestly, it has been, but it's been a great ride. And I do it maybe for selfish reasons and not just to get awards out of it. Um, but it, it gives a lot back to you as a company, as a person, because you're getting to hang out with like-minded people and you support like-minded people. They support you. You're making phone calls when you need help. Anyways, it's a community. I really mean it. So I really believe in it. And I had a mentor that many years ago, like 15 plus years ago that had introduced me to this association. And he's, he said to me, he's like, don't just wait for business to come to you. Go participate in your industry. Go, go be involved and so on. And I happen to be an extrovert. I'm not an introvert. So I have fun doing this and meeting people. And, you know, I've met amazing people like you guys along the way. Um, so I don't know where I was going with that point overall. Anyways, it's been fun. It's been yeah. rewarding. Yeah. I mean, it's you're right. It is so great to have a network like this. We we often think that um, to find new work and to, to grow our companies, we have to be uh, putting ourselves out there externally and finding clients directly. Mm -hmm. But quite often it is... Um, business to business and those relationships we we kind of foster uh, among the industry that uh, you know feeds work and, and helps us grow so it's yeah it's great but again it's patience like we were kind of going back it's like learning your craft it's the same thing to network for your business it's like you got to put in and then eventually you'll receive and I think a lot of people especially yeah. in our age group don't aren't willing to necessarily do that so it's nice to see the two of you guys do that and put the time in absolutely Hey, Paul, what is winning awards like this? What does that mean for you? I mean, I think it's huge uh, for a small company, small new company like us. Um, again, we've been you know around for just a, a few years here. Um, so it really just shows um, it's kind of that stamp, that quality stamp, I suppose. So for a new company, when we're uh, bidding on a project up against a, you know, a company that's more established, um, it's kind of a why why take the chance or why work with a smaller company i think this helps to kind of legitimize us and show that uh, we've been peer-reviewed um and we're you know we're, we're providing a very quality service um that we're we're ambitious and we're um yeah we're now in other in other episodes we've had the homeowner here as well the homeowner's obviously not here what, yeah. what was it like when you told the homeowner that you won what did that mean for the homeowner when they taken all the time and consideration to create a project like this and it was as the recipient of not one but two major awards um well they were thrilled they were very supportive from the start um they were proud of the project that they were building alongside with us i believe from the start it really showed I think that they were one of my clients, only clients to approach me like, hey, when are we taking pictures? They knew that I often do that. Um, so they were so proud that they kept reaching out to me specifically. Um, and then along the way, when it came to like award submission season, so on, we approached them and they were just thrilled. And then that enthusiasm just kept going up until last weekend. I was actually at their house and um, I see the one family more so than the other and the brother so the family that i don't see as often was also over in the backyard and you know he was so proud he was congratulating us but i feel like he was he had more pride for what had happened than to be honest 
probably we do. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm very proud of it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were fantastic clients uh, right from the start. And I think the, uh, the energy efficiency, the desire to go passive, I think came from Dean and Pamela jumped on as well. Um, so yeah, they definitely have a lot of pride for it. Um, yeah. Well, congratulations to all of you. Um, we're going to talk about grandma's house mm -hmm. and there are some really interesting conversations to be had because we're talking about a duplex that was a single family home. We're talking about a heritage home, which is in itself a conversation. And we're certainly talking about energy efficient homes as well. However, before we do that, we do have to take a short break to thank our wonderful podcast partners. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Measure Twice, Cut Once is grateful to our podcast partners, Fortis BC, Vico Stone Canada, Inc., and Trail Appliances. Support from our partners helps us share expert knowledge and resources with families looking to build, design, and renovate the home right for you. Vico Stone is renowned for providing exquisite quartz slabs, ideal for both kitchen countertops and vanities. Their extensive range caters to diverse preferences, offering everything from the versatile builder collection to the opulent and luxurious designs. Established as a reliable and preferred choice in the industry, they have earned the trust and admiration of local stone fabricators and interior designers. Trail Appliances makes everyday life better with the best selection in Western Canada, hassle-free delivery, and a price match guarantee. So you'll always get the best deal. Trail Appliances. Make sure you'll love buying an appliances as much as you'll love using it. And we all need reliable and efficient equipment for better comfort, health, and safety for our homes. Whether you want to adopt some energy-saving habits or take on a major energy efficiency upgrade, no matter what your budget, Fortis PC can help you save energy. Be sure to visit fortispc.com rebates, where you also can find amazing tips on low and no-cost ways to save energy, plus buying advice for energy-efficient products. Awesome. Welcome back. So we are talking about grandma's house. Now, first I thought grandma's house and I was picturing plastic on the furniture and everything else, <laughs> but it turns out this is not your typical grandma's house. Uh, Katarina, would you start, maybe talk us through a little, I mean, obviously people listening and watching people to access photos later, but paint the picture for us. What did you start with? What were, what were some of the things you wanted to accomplish and what ended up happening? Um, we started with a really old, old structure. Do you, were you in there while, uh, their, no. their grandmother still lived there? No, no. I mean, it was, uh, it, she, I think she'd been there for 50 plus years possibly. Um, and she, I met her a few times and she was very welcoming and it sounds like she was an amazing woman. Did she bake you cookies? <laughs> she did. She didn't, but she, uh, had this huge fig tree in the backyard and an amazing garden as well. Um, and so she'd send me home with bags of figs and all yeah. sorts of stuff, but she, um, yeah, she'd be in the garden constantly. Her garden was immaculate and I think she would just walk back into the house. So there was, you know, bits of, uh, there was a bit of a trail from her, from the garden back into the house. And it was, yeah, you could tell she had been there for a while. Yeah. That, uh, when you see before pictures, it's just a huge transformation. I mean, I feel like it's just the shape of the house it's, that that's similar, right? Like yeah. it's just night and day. I mean, it was just not in great shape. The house was old. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were holes in the roof. Yeah. That were, yeah. You know. It's not very pretty from the photos. <laughs> yeah. Not the before. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I said. The before is yeah. not very the after is yeah. quite attractive, though. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you were taking a single family 
home that is built in when the 1930s 40s 50s yeah i think we dated it to about 1930s to 1940s okay. yeah so it's one of the first homes in the vancouver area for sure and what did you plan on turning it into like how did this whole conversation start like it's a duplex now that's very different than most people do right yeah and again for them it was um I think an opportunity that they had, that they had this house uh, in the family. It's where they went to school, elementary school, I think just a couple blocks down. So it was where they would go at lunchtime to hang out with their grandma. Um, and then as their grandma, um, you know, got to the age that the house was a bit much for her, she passed it down to them. Um, so they were presented with this opportunity that they have this land, uh, this lot in an amazing neighborhood in Kitsilano um, that they, uh, you know, we're going to do something with it. So the the two families they decided to uh you know one take the back half one take the front half and and uh call it home was it a hard process to get it stratified because sometimes we talk about like it just seems so easy that everyone's like oh i turned my home into a duplex but people don't realize that no if it is zoned for a single family home it's not always an easy process yeah absolutely um so we knew from the start that they wanted to stratify um, I wasn't part of the whole stratification process um, at the end. Uh, the homeowners kind of took that on, on themselves, but we were very aware. So we did, uh, you know, made sure that all the elements were, were, you know, there so that it would be possible for them, obviously. Do you have any advice for any homeowners that are wanting to build that are kind of looking into duplex or legal basement suites or anything like that? Um, I mean, working with a good, uh, architect or designer, because when you are, um, you know, sh sh taking a house and, and turning it into, into two, um, space does become quite tight. Uh, so storage, uh, is a big thing, uh, using the space, um, in a, in an interesting or creative way, um, is definitely a must from the very start. Um, the other thing to mention about, uh, and I know I keep banging on about passive house and interfit, but there are um, bylaws in Vancouver that allow more square footage um, in a passive house or a passive house duplex. Um, I think it's 16% more FSR uh, for passive house and 19% more if you're going to do a multifamily home. So it does help to, uh, you know, grow, grow the footprint a little bit, which is a, a great initiative. So out of curiosity, this is a much older home. Would it not have been easier just to responsibly deconstruct the house and build a whole new home in its place? Why, why didn't we just go that route? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one that I think everyone considered at one point, um, because again, the house was old and it was in rough shape. Um, but there, it, it did have overages. So if, if they did, uh, if they did tear it down, they would have lost square footage. Um, and they were already fighting, uh, you know, turning one house into two, um, is already a challenge. So they wanted to keep all the square footage they could. Was there any, I'm guessing there wasn't any heritage, doesn't it? Then if you had the option to pull it down, uh, there, there was, um, there is as well in Kitsilano, it was zoned, uh, heritage. So it really wasn't an option anyways, but it was something you know, you, you could maybe push at the city to get done anyways, but they would have lost, um, you know, a lot of square footage as well. You went from one house to two homes and, you know, that's about 1200 square foot per family. 
How did you make it work? I mean, we talked about space and having a place for everything. How do you, maybe this is a bigger, broader question, but how as a designer do you look at that space and go, this is how I'm going to organize it to maximize the space efficiency? And that leads into another question. Why aren't people doing that with every house they built? Yeah. Because you, you actually have more space for storage in that 1,200 square foot house than I have in my full size house. Yeah. How'd you do it? Well, you find every opportunity and you use it and you invest some money into it too. Often these storage solutions are not inexpensive. Um, so the, the client being willing to, you know, fork out the money to do all these improvements in storage is, is a part of the deal. And uh, then, I mean, on the creative side, I'm here for it all day long, mm -hmm. um, but you have to have that willing client. And it comes a part of that big conversation, obviously, when you're taking this house, turning it into a duplex, knowing that you're about to live in 1200 square feet and that you have an X amount of things that you need to store, like are just our basic things, don't really change in size between you living in a home, like a, a full-size uh, home or, or in a duplex to an apartment like you need those those items and they need to fit in any which situation of square footage and the bigger challenge I have to say is also you can give people storage you can give a, a box a lot of storage but then there's the risk of it feeling like it's just storage like a lot of boxes a lot of built-ins heavy um so there's you have to make it feel airy it has to feel the same size you, sh you should have the same feeling as if if you were in a 2000 square foot or a 4000 square foot home like that airiness needs to exist no matter what the size well and again i just love your creative solution for the washing machine because it's underneath the stairs isn't it yeah so the both uh the front duplex and the back duplex are slightly different from one another they're both utilizing the under stairs um where typically it's wasted space so again that costs some money to open that up uh instead of just blocking it in with drywall and framing right and just close it off and then to do built-ins that are on that angle that the stairs go up is also more expensive than building just a tall square cabinet <clears throat> so with that being said to answer your question the backside has a washer dryer under the stairs and a closet um an entry closet with like a bench seat built into it where you put shoes below you hang things on top it all looks nice and airy when it's closed off but so much function when it's opened up and then on the other side the front side of the house the washer dryer is actually in the powder room um and underneath the stairs again utilized full storage but that's where like their linen closet is just a lot of storage lots of closet space and honestly the stair under the stair storage they it's become a feature and on both sides yeah you know it's not just it's not just somewhere that storage that they're quite you know visually attractive and they're it's a feature of the home thanks paul <laughs> so when you do a project like this there's no manual on how to renovate a house there's some basic guidelines but each site is different each right. home is different and i know there were some challenges with this one could you talk about some of the challenges you faced with this project? Because there's, there's two, like, you know, certain things like, okay, there's asbestos in the attic, yeah. but what's buried underneath the house might've been a challenge as well. Talk about maybe some of the challenges you faced, but also some of the creative ways you were able to mitigate those challenges. Cause that's really the exciting part of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, jumping into the project, uh, we knew that we were going to be installing uh, a new ICF foundation, um, which was just going to be a crawl space. But um, 
we we did have to dig down below the house because it was just slab on grade before um, by about seven and a half feet. So it was still a pretty big, uh, deep um, foundation hole. Um, and once we did that, we, we knew we had to lift the house up, stilt it um, to install the new foundation. Uh, so when we did that, when we actually, uh, we got the house lifted up and started to dig out underneath, um, we discovered probably 15 to 20, um, car sized boulders, uh, left over from glacial till from, um, millennia ago, um, that were just in the middle of the foundation that we had to remove somehow. So I've got some amazing photos of the excavators below the house dealing with these uh, chipping apart, hydraulically um, breaking apart these boulders to remove them. Um, so that is, I mean, I don't know if it's super typical in Vancouver, but it was definitely a surprise to us um, and a bit of, bit of a challenge to, uh, to, to right off the start to, to get rid of all that. And did that add cost to the project to remove them? It did. Um, you know, as with any unforeseen um, things that come up, it yeah, it it definitely did. So, how do you have that conversation with the client? Um, I mean, that one is fairly easy because it's so apparent. Um, you can bring them to site and say, "There's a bunch of uh, car-sized, van-sized bolters <laughs> under your house that uh, you know are in the middle of your um, your crawl space." So that one is is fairly easy. And they're but not it's... like, "How did you not know that?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Grandma totally. didn't tell you. <laughs> Grandma, <laughs> she knew. She knew. You, mean, you don't show up to an initial meeting with ground penetrating radar, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what were some of the other challenges? I mean, obviously, removing those were uh, a fairly significant challenge. What were some of the other challenges that, as you dug into this project, pardon the pun, you uh, – I didn't plan it that way um, – that, you, that you found? Like, what were some of the things you encountered that were vexing for you? And what – because part of it is, okay, these things will happen to people when they do a renovation, but the creative solutions that you guys employ are really uh, – an like a North star for the rest of us. Like how do we approach this in our own homes and how should other people in this industry approach it as well? So where were some of the other challenges that you faced and what were the best ways that you could suggest for our listeners and, and viewers to, to deal with them? Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the big ones was that the house was in fairly rough shape. Like I mentioned before, um, there were some holes in the roof. Uh, so there was moisture in areas that was getting in and, uh, rotting some of the framing outs and, um, the roof was also sagging quite a bit. Um, so again, just kind of, you know, working with, uh, I don't want to use the word fighting against the house, but it did, it did put up, uh, its challenges and just to, uh, bring it back up to the, the seismic and structural standards of today. Um, so one of the things we did because we didn't want to just, you know, it is a renovation. It's, it's not a new build, although we, we probably did, uh, structurally, you know, change 90% of the house. Um, but we didn't want to lose the, uh, the essence of the house. We, we deconstructed, we didn't, you know, uh, all out demolish. We de deconstructed selectively and, and saved the material, um, on the side that then we could re -in uh, institute back into the house. So a lot of the studs, um, especially in non-bearing walls and whatever we would we would set aside the old studs and then put them back in uh, just to, uh, instead of, you know, them going to the landfill and, um, you know, using new wood. Also cost, you know, there's there's a savings in, in just reusing what was there. Is that older wood better quality than newer wood? 
I mean, think? yeah, there's a lot of uh, arguments to say that it, it is. Um, it was better graded wood back when we first used it. Uh, used it. it was a lot of old growth wood too, so it's uh, a tighter um, a tighter structured wood. Um, so there are a lot of arguments that, that do say it's, it's, it's better and stronger as well, yeah. And another unforeseen that you had to deal with, which we talk about quite a bit now, especially with older homes, is asbestos. Yeah. I want to talk about that because I think that's the thing that everyone hears about. They see it on the TV shows, but they don't necessarily understand why they have to remove it and why it's such a big cost. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, asbestos is one of those things that was used uh, in many, many products, um, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and it, so it is pretty prevalent. Um throughout many of the houses in Vancouver and throughout Canada, really. Um, and we found it in the, in the attic of the house, we found vermiculite, um, and vermiculite is one of those ones that, um, is kind of a high risk. It's, uh, can become airborne quite easily. Um, many of asbestos are kind of tied up in glues or, or whatever, so you can keep them sort of mitigated, but, uh, vermiculite, um, it is just kind of a gravelly type material. So, um, it was a high risk and the whole attic had it. Um, so yeah, it just needs to be dealt with and dealt with in the right way. And it can be super hazardous. I think that's a lot of times people Absolutely. are like, well, why can't we just keep it in there? But it's like, once you disrupt it, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, had it explained to me that the fibers of asbestos itself are kind of like Velcro. They have little hooks. Um, so they can kind of, you know, breathing it in, they can kind of, you know, hook onto your lungs and, uh, you know, stay there for years and years and years and, and cause issues. So, yeah, it can be kind of scary. And I think a lot of people don't understand this. If your house was built before 1980, there's a very good chance if you have the old linoleum flooring and stuff that had asbestos Absolutely. in it. A lot of the pipes that were wrapped had asbestos yep. in it. Um, drywall used to have asbestos in it. Yeah. So it, if you're planning even just a minor renovation, even just a little bit of a drywall patch, it's certainly worth your while to have it tested because, yeah, there's a cost associated with that, but compared to the cost of lying and withering away in a hospital bed 20 years from now, there's Absolutely. very little cost associated with it. So it's a it's a very important thing to look and at. And as a, you know, a builder too, you feel the responsibility um, you know, for your homeowners and for all the trades that you're bringing into the house that uh, everything has been tested and, and you can um, you know, give them confidently that green light that the site is, you know, had the full hazmat testing and uh, it's safe for people to be there. And that's what we talk about too, is building these healthier homes and then why we're going to passive house model and, and other high performance, because they're just better for you. We don't yeah. have to worry about that, that we're breathing in something that it's like Velcro on your lungs. That's terrifies me, that image. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's a big reason why we stand behind uh, sort of the passive house standard as well. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's great. Um, for sustainability reasons um it's great that these houses are starting to use less energy um but also they're just a better healthier product for consumers um you know you can control your indoor air quality in a much uh greater way um thermal comfort uh you know you can manip manipulate and control your your thermal com uh, thermal indoor uh temperature as well um so they, there's just so many benefits to it it really views the house as a whole system um, and a system for living opposed to, uh, you know, just a, just a, a, a wooden box where, um, you know, air, air is coming in, air is leaking out. You're, you're pumping a bunch of energy into it to keep it warm or to keep it cold or whatever. Um, uh, you know, passive house is really based around, um, simple. It's a simple structure that can be controlled. The indoor space can be controlled a lot easier. So for the people who aren't playing in this world, 
people who aren't considering a passive house right now, thinking about a renovation, what are some of the things you do to an older house that you can do to bring it up to passive house standard, right? Because this is really going to help people understand that, yes, there's a complexity to it, but it's not as hard as you think to renovate an old house and bring it up to that standard. So what if, if we're looking at my old house built in 1981, mm-hmm. what would I be looking at or some of the top headings that I would do to it to bring it up to this level of efficiency? Um, so, I mean, the, the two main things that Passive House looks at are um, air tightness and um watts kilowatts per per hour so the amount of energy it takes to either heat or cool your house um and i think that's why passive house has been so successful it's very it's it's streamlined um the objective and if you hit these two things it basically says that your house will perform to their standard um so to get there, the first thing on a renovation, uh, you kind of have to have to take both of those things into account. So you'd have to work with a passive house consultant. Um, but the big things are making your ha- house airtight. So that's windows, doors, um, the the membrane and the envelope of the house, um, and then insulation as well. So a typical house, uh, you know, is two by four framing or two by six framing. Um, we add, uh, you know, up four, six, eight inches on the outside as well. Um, to to bring that uh, you're basically building essentially a, a cooler you know it, it's compared uh you know if you're if you're going to the park with a few beers and um you want to keep them cold it's uh you know you could take a milk crate and fill it with ice but that ice is going to keep melting and you, you know your beer is not going to stay stay uh, cold for that long so you a better way to do it is to have a cooler and you know you're not going to refill the ice and it's the same thing with the house we're just um pumping energy into them to have it uh, to have it leave the house instantly where these new standards um you know change that really great explanation by the way <laughs> i never thought yeti coolers would make their way into our conversation <laughs> on this podcast but yeah here we are anytime and uh, I, we could talk about construction all day long but of course we want to get into a little bit of the design aspect of it as well um i know we talked about storage but Whatever, were there any other challenges or was it just smooth sailing for design? Yeah, uh, no, there's always uh, there's always a challenge. Uh, they're usually welcome too. Um, I think working with two clients at the same time, running essentially on the same kind of schedule with different aesthetics, sometimes different budgets. Um, that was a little bit, I mean, I don't know if I call it a challenge. Well, no, it was challenging. Yeah, it was fun. It was a fun <laughs> challenge. Um, so and that was unique. Yeah. I was going to say, and I don't know, we've, uh, there are two designs of different budgets. Did they also have a different interior designer? Uh, yeah. So the front side, uh, Dean started with another firm and, uh, I worked on the backside, f- uh, with Pamela and her husband, Laz, um, from the start, from the beginning of that along the way, I'm not hundred percent sure what happened, but, uh, Dean jumped uh, ship and also became my client. Um, so I did start steering that at some point, the, the front side as well. Yeah. In design. Yeah. I mean, my thoughts are that, um, you and I had a really good, uh, line of commu- communication throughout the project. Um, so anything that, uh, you know, came up on my end, I could reach out to you and you were super helpful at coming to site and we discussed problems together. Um, so you were very involved. Um, and 
you know, just having, having that eye and the level of service from you is, is probably, you know, why it, why they jumped on to. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad they did. And I'll take this opportunity to say that I do think that that sets us, us apart at Designs by KS um, when compared to other people um is that the way that we have our business model structured we're there to service the client till the end so we don't just design select materials make this pretty picture happen and then start walking away and become unreachable or anything like that we're there till till the end we're there to answer questions that don't necessarily even have to go to the client at some point because those pre-planning stages would have been um would have explained a lot so i get to work with paul along the way and towards the end and it becomes a little bit less of a bother towards the client uh the client doesn't have to have consistent phone calls of like what do we do with this because you know this came up and or we didn't think about it and whatever the situation is so that's how we've decided to build our business is to be there toward to, to the the end well yeah. it sounds like it's working because you won designer of the year you've won two awards for this project so <laughs> yeah. uh, Keep it up. Yeah. Uh, Paul, Katarina, it's been phenomenal talking to you today about this project, both learning about who you both are as people, what makes you tick, and the impetus behind this project and how you're able to create these great results. Um, we love talking to people like you because there's so much we can learn. Um, always like to talk about the lessons we learned, and there's so many, but, you know, I mean, thinking about one of the things that really stuck out to me was, you know, finding out about having to do the blasting underneath the home and the impact of that and, and how that might have impacted budgets and everything else as well. And also working with the right group of professionals when these things happen, they will come up with a service or a plan to service the issue or whatever it is, and they know how to fix the problem. So good work, great work actually for all of you because you were able to actually create, and I think what you did was create a template for the future because we need more people to live in this city and we don't have enough homes. So what you guys are doing, densifying these old homes and keeping them uh, is phenomenal. Um, and it's been such a great conversation. So we really appreciate all, all the insight you gave us today. It's awesome. Yeah, and congratulations again on your awards. Like Mike said, you're interior designer of the year, as well as for Grandma's House, we've got 2023 Haven Award winner for best renovation between 1 million and 1.5 million. And we also have the 2023 Haven Award for Best Energy Labeled Home, whole renovation. So again, awesome congratulations. Work, I feel like I need some like sound effects. I know, or right? <laughs> Insert <laughs> the applause. Or like pop a champagne. <laughs> um, and one more thing before we go, I know you guys have told me so many great pieces of wisdom, but can you give us each one more piece of wisdom, either like what people should be looking for when they hire a builder or interior designer or something? really great about the industry that people should know about <laughs> yeah i would say to invest the right time in the planning stages um yeah the planning stages design the with the architect uh and hire a good team people that you really click with uh because you're going to be on a ride for a long time a couple of years probably when building in vancouver yeah i mean i second that i think uh you know working with people that you can trust and lean on because uh, again the the relationships do become quite intimate um you know you're with those people for yeah a year or two years sometimes even more um so yeah really just uh you know do your research on on who you're going to work with interview a lot of people um and yeah and one more question um i know they're sitting right here but where do you guys put your awards yeah. <laughs> 
I keep mine in my purse <laughs> just in case anybody wants to uh, take a look at it, hold it. Um, mine are at my office. Yeah. And Paul, nice. do you put yours in your purse? <laughs> sure, sure do. Yeah. His purse. Yeah, I do. Yeah. No, I run around carrying them all day, yeah, showing them off. No, they they'll um, they'll end up on a shelf somewhere. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Again, congratulations to you and your respective teams, and to the homeowners as well. Uh, great work. Hey, before we go, I have to have a brief reminder. This is one of my favorite parts, and that is to remind our listeners and viewers about something very, very important. That by liking this podcast, telling their family and friends about this podcast, please do share it with everyone who you think needs this great information. You can have a chance to win a brand new Napoleon Prestige P500 stainless steel natural gas barbecue valued at almost $1,500 compliments of our fantastic podcast partner Fortis BC. All you have to do to win this beautiful new barbecue is go to haven.ca slash measure twice cut once. Yes. And Mike will come cook you something delicious on, I don't know, burgers or something. <laughs> I'm just selling your services. And for notes and links to everything mentioned on today's episode, including resources shared by Katarina and Paul, go to haven.ca slash measure twice, cut once. Thank you to Trail Appliances, Fortis BC, Vico Stone Canada, and Raimi Films. And thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It was awesome. Pleasure. Buying a home is an important milestone. Find the right realtor and the right listings for your needs at todayshomebc.com. Powered by Black Press Media. With easy-to-use search filters and direct links to realtors and their websites, you'll get all the information you need to find your perfect home. Search hundreds of local listings and get access to the top real estate professionals to help you find your perfect property. Get started now at todayshomebc.com.